Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Force Ghost Conversations. This is your host, Anthony King, and this week, along with special guest Colby Mead, host of the Colby Cast podcast, we'll be doing a deep dive into Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, in anticipation for the release of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Before we get started, I'm inviting you to join the conversation with us. We can be found on Twitter and Hive at Forest Ghost Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok just by searching Forest Ghost Conversations. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your listening site of choice. Plus, Force Ghost Conversations is live on Patreon. If you're a fan of the podcast and would like to consider pledging your support, there will be a link in the episode description for you to check out the various tiers offered. Finally, please be sure to check out our Tee Public store to buy some Force Ghost Conversations merchandise. And without further ado, it's time to gather around the campfire for some Force Ghost Conversations. All right, everybody, welcome back to Forest Ghost Conversations, and I'm so thrilled to get into this amazing episode with Colby. I'm so thrilled that he was able to share his insights, his viewpoints, his opinions, and his personal experiences with the film that is Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Of course, we are getting ready for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which will come out at the end of June, so we're going through all the films in anticipation of that major release. So, of course, we are now on the third film in the Indiana Jones franchise to this point, which is The Last Crusade. Of course, we've covered Temple of Doom and Raiders of the Lost Ark in previous episodes. So if you haven't seen uh, listened to those yet, be sure to check those out. And of course, this is a spoiler conversation that will be on the other side of this break. So if you haven't seen Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, then obviously go check it out. It's on Disney Plus as well as uh, available on other uh, platforms for a digital and physical purchase. So be sure to watch the movie before... Uh, listening to our wonderful conversation of course i think you'll get a lot more out of it um and it's a wonderful movie so you certainly won't regret having that opportunity before we get into the episode itself the the meat of it on our our main segment let's just cover some of the news that has come out this week in the star wars lucasfilm galaxy of course in our cloud city gossip segment so first ahsoka finally has a release date yes the highly anticipated series will be released on disney plus starting on august 20 third so you can rest assured that we will be covering the show in its entirety here on forest ghost conversations as we have with all the other star wars shows uh canon shows that have come out to this point and uh i definitely can't wait for that i'm so excited for it and uh again sign me up for all the ahsoka stuff uh, everything that i've seen from it is incredible and i'm hoping that we get some more trailers and and uh announcements as we head into the uh, the opening episodes then and again we cannot stress enough how cool it is that all of the Indiana Jones films and the Young Indiana Jones Adventures television series are available on Disney+. Plus. So now is a great time to re-watch the films or to watch them for the first time in anticipation of the new film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Obviously, as you know, we've been covering them on the podcast here on a weekly basis. So as you can imagine, King of the Crystal Skull is coming just around the corner there. So if you haven't been watching them yet or... If you 
have watched them. Go re-listen back to our previous episodes. I mean, I'm just giving you a heads up as to where we're going with the next couple of weeks here in terms of content so that you are fully prepared to be engaged in those conversations. So with that, folks, that is all the news that I had compiled for this week's episode. On the other side of the short break, we'll be back with a brand new conversation with Colby Mead all about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another installment of Forest Coast Conversations. And I am so thrilled to be continuing our Indiana Jones talk here on the podcast. Of course, you have heard our Raiders of the Lost Ark conversation, our Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom conversation. And now it is time to go to the third film in the Indiana Jones franchise, what was once a concluding film of the Indiana Jones franchise, but has now since become the the middle part, if you will, of a five-part film franchise. We, of course, are here to talk Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. And I am so thrilled to welcome back to the show returning guest, Colby Mead from the Colby cast. Colby, how are you doing? And welcome back to Force Ghost Conversations. Anthony, I'm so happy to be here. And thank you very much for having me back on. I'm so excited to talk about this film. The pleasure is all mine. And yeah, this is a fantastic film, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts about this movie. And that's really where I want to start at is the beginning of your Indiana Jones kind of journey. And with this particular film, what was it like when you watched this movie for the first time? Did you watch the other films in sequential order? Set the scene for us. So I think the most interesting thing for me anyway is how I experienced the lead up to this film because I did watch them in sequential order. Uh, I was 14 when this movie came out and I used to watch a lot of movies. My parents are huge movie lovers. So it just seemed like we were at the movies every week, you know, every weekend and especially summertime when the big blockbusters were coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't have any, you know, great story to, to tell you about seeing this film, but I feel like the story for me is the lead up and becoming an Indiana Jones fan and how I did getting me to mm. this point. And really the, sh- the, the nutshell is Indiana Jones. Well, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981. I was six years mm-hmm. old. Uh, we were out doing a camping trip with a good, good family, family friend of ours. And me being the six year old on a camping trip, all I wanted to do was sleep outside i didn't want to be in a tent Mm. i didn't want to be in a cabin i want to be outside on this camping trip somehow and i don't have vivid memories of how this happened but we watched raiders of the lost ark during this camping trip wow and i got so scared (laughs) oh i can imagine (laughs) sleeping outside was crossed off the list real quick i i i loved the movie it was a big yeah you you saw faces melt outside and you're like nope and you know what it really did for me, Anthony, was the snakes. <laughs> I, I wanted oh, to do interesting, the snakes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely adopted the uh, indie phobia of snakes that on that trip. So yeah, that was uh, no sleeping outside for Colby in the camping trip. I was really scared of being outside for a while. Uh, and then, you know, Temple of Doom came out. Uh, I was a big fan of that as well. And by that time, you know, I was just a, a into Indiana Jones, especially because mm. of Harrison Ford and his connection to Star Wars, which like right. you, my bread and butter, like just love, love the Star Wars. <laughs> for sure. Yes. So then by the time um, The Last Crusade came out for me, it was exciting. It was supposed to be the conclusion 
uh, you know, bringing in the whole dad aspect of things. You sort of had this mm-hmm. idea that we're going to say goodbye to these stories. Um, and they, well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but even the ending of the movie sort of made you feel that way. Right. But yeah. I remember watching it at home more than I did it in the theaters, probably recorded oh, it off of a cable channel or something like that. And then I loved just watching this movie over and over again for all the reasons that we're going to get into during our, our conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. This film has a lot of replay value. I think probably more, more so than any of the other films because it does have this feel good nature to it. Right. I think yeah. it has a little bit of that to add a little bit of star Wars to it. It ha- does have that return of the Jedi good feelings. The good guys win at the end of the day. There's good camp and humor to it. That same kind of tone and vibe where coming off of a dark film like temple of doom and then coming back to this one, uh, it does have those like return to form kind of elements that I think are very fascinating about this movie and this franchise overall. I agree. Absolutely. I agree. And, and, and it, I wrote down in my notes and, and sorry, here's a, you know, spoiler alert here. Uh, <laughs> I, I just think that this is a perfect adventure film yes. in, in, in every yeah. sense of the word. And really whenever somebody says something about a perfect movie, I don't really know what that means. Is there a checklist? I don't know. I have a checklist in my brain. And if it ticks all those boxes, then to me, it's perfect. This is a perfect adventure film. Mm. And it's for all the reasons you said it is. It's it's adventurous. It's fun. It's lighthearted. It does have its thrilling moments. It's it's stressful and tense, suspenseful type of moments. But really, at the heart of it are, you know, Dr. Jones Sr. and Dr. Jones Jr. And, you know, even if they were the only two people in the movie, I would still love it because they're so great together. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Germany has declared war on the Joneses, as yeah. they say in the movie. <laughs> um, and that's fascinating because, again, this is the summer of 89, which is, as you mentioned, this came out, which is I've heard stories like this is one of the best summers ever when it comes to fo- films being released. I mean, Batman 89, Ghostbusters 2, I think Lethal Weapon 2, in oh. addition to uh Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I mean, how could you not just be a fi- a film fanatic at this point in your life? <laughs> and you just named off some of my favorite franchises. You know, I remember going to see Batman 89. Um, and I love that that's what it's called now, Batman 89, because back in those days, it was just Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's just but Batman, yeah. I, I walked out of school on the last day of school, the first day really technically of, of, of uh, summer vacation. My My best friend and I, walked right to the movie theater and watched Batman 89. I am a, I love the lethal weapon movies. Uh, and of course, Indiana Jones. Yeah. I mean, what a summer, <laughs> what a summer indeed. And I'll give you my story for how I watched this film for the first time. So I think our listeners know at this point, as I've told it a few times here, but I only watched the Indiana Jones Raiders of the lost Ark for the first time when I was 21. Um, uh, and that was in college, and I spent a Saturday night. I rented the Raiders film DVD from our library on campus, and said, "I've never seen this. I'm going to watch it now." Because my mom had a weird rule uh, about certain films I couldn't couldn't watch. It absolutely makes no sense uh, when you think about it. I was able to watch rated R films b- <laughs> by myself and with her. It made where she drew the line. It, it's it's incomprehensible, right? I was allowed to watch like American Pie films, Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> All these movies that you would think, you know, a 10 year old shouldn't be watching or at least without some sort of parental supervision. I was able to watch willy nilly. But when it came to like Batman 89, Superman 78, the Indiana Jones franchise, she was like, no, 
You're, <laughs> this is where I draw the line. I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Um, so finally, when I was 21 and in college, and I realized I had some uh, independence. <laughs> I realized that, oh, I can actually watch some of these movies by myself now. Um, so a lot of my early 20s and even up to this point has been me catching up with pop culture that I haven't actually been privy to growing up like other you know people have had they grew up with these when they were when they're kids or i saw them when they were kids etc um so that's when i first saw raiders and then i graduated that following december i graduated a semester early for my undergrad degree and my present to myself was the 4k set or not the 4k but the blu-ray set of the entire indiana jones adventures to that point all four films nice. so uh, I spent like a couple days in sequential in sequential order after that, watching Raiders, Temple of Doom for the first time, then Last Crusade, and then King of, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for the first time. So that's my journey with this movie in a way. It was, I mean, definitely one of the more unique examples of how someone comes to this movie. But I, I was it. hooked from the start. I as soon as I watched Raiders that first time, I was like, what have I been doing my entire life not having this franchise in my life? I studied <laughs> history for goodness' sake. Like I was, I. <laughs> I, I was meant to be a historian. I, I was out, you know, learning how to be a public historian as a as a craft. And uh, it's where all my first jobs and internships were with historic sites. And that's what I do in my free time for the most part is go to museums and stuff like that. So, like, it's definitely within the wheelhouse of what should have been, like, my favorite franchise to start with. Right. But the rest is history. So that's that's my journey to this point. So we're all square with, like, how we all arrived at at this juncture <laughs> i heard you tell that story to our buddy uh craig dickinson and i just was cracking up because i'm sure your mom had her <laughs> reasons i'm sure she had reasons uh who knows what they were but i i think it's just a great story of how you came to this franchise awesome my summation is that i think she loves these movies deep down i think or or she hates them one way or the other she either <laughs> loves them or absolutely hates them like she never wanted to watch it again perhaps if she hated it and that's why she didn't want me watching it because then she'd have to realize that it, it's kind of on a loop in her house <laughs> but she doesn't like star wars too much I'll, I'll you know but my uncle showed me that so that's how i got into that and then you know it was too late once you've already opened pandora's box it's right. too late on that one yeah, absolutely um i know she her, one of her favorite, if not her favorite movie, is Batman '89. We had that VHS, and that's how like this all started. Was I'd pull that off like our our stack of movies, and I'd be like, "Hey, can we watch this? This looks cool." And she'd be like, "No, put that back." She didn't want me to ruin it. I don't think, <laughs> I because I have a tendency of doing that. Like I will make fun of things I see in a loving mm, way, but sure. others may take it as like, "Why are you criticizing every little piece of this movie?" Um, but I do it in a fun, loving manner, and I think I know I'm a, I'm a little bit of an acquired taste when it comes to that. <laughs> but uh, I think she just wanted to protect herself and her memories of watching that movie without me interjecting into that. So that's probably where some of this comes to play here. Uh, but honestly, she's never answered the Indiana Jones question. But interesting, it's, you know, revisionist history. She will tell you it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so you've cooked it all up know. yourself. It's a big, it's a, it's a big conspiracy. I'd be like, sure, mom. I didn't watch this on my own accord. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so. What I've learned in in my like going back and like learning more about this franchise and what people have thought about it over the years is that in the time in which it was released, um, some fans found the Temple of Doom, the second film in this franchise, to be quite divisive. Some found it to be too dark and went too too far in some places, etc. I mean, it helped create a PG thirteen rating, to be honest. So it did <laughs> it did for better or for worse have its say in the film history and canon of it all, but. In your opinion, is The Last Crusade then kind of a course correction for the franchise from that point to this one? So I've got two answers, and I find myself doing this a lot when I talk about older movies. 
I answer it from my younger perspective and then my older perspective. Mm. I had no idea Temple of Doom was divisive when I was a kid. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, the internet didn't exist. You yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> and I mean, in my circle of friends, you know, we were all about it. You know, it was another Indiana Jones adventure. But when you do see it as a as an adult, you do see it through different eyes. Um, it's very dark. It is very dark. I mean, yeah. we're talking yeah. about some very heavy themes and some very graphic images. And um, oh, 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 yeah. Uh, but even then, I was not aware that this was a divisive film until I w- you know, was well into my 40s. Um, and I believe it. Definitely believe it. I mm-hmm. didn't experience it, but that doesn't mean that that didn't happen. And with that said, I do think that this is a course correction because um, The Last Crusade is is a 180 <laughs> compared yeah, yeah. to Temple of Doom, right? Uh, you you literally have silly things going on in The Last Crusade, mm-hmm. and they're all fun. They're great. Don't take silly as a bad thing. It's a great thing. Um, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of silliness in, in Temple of Doom. So yeah, you look at Raiders and there's, there again, adventure, fun, lighthearted. Of course, you've got people's faces melting and stuff. That's definitely dark. Um, <laughs> but there was more fun than darkness. And I think Temple of Doom was the opposite of that. So The Last Crusade, I would, I'm on board with it being a course correction. Uh, and again, sort of looking at it at the way I looked at it at the time, thinking that this was going to be our last adventure with with indie mm. although i never explicitly remember them saying oh this is the last one it's just when you watched it you're like this is perfect this is just a great ending if if this, if we never yeah. get another indie movie this is a great place to leave it and i'm personally very glad we get we're getting more indie i'm a fan of crystal skull um but yeah course correction i'm on board with that yeah definitely riding off in the sunset is a great way to end any film whether it be the end of a trilogy or just the third installment of a franchise. It, it does work to have a nice chapter end. It sure does. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's an interesting conversation about the course correction of it. And it's, and it's interesting because, sure, I think there were some critical and fan backlash, just to whatever degree that it could at the time, whether it be people writing letters to Lucasfilm or whatever. <laughs> um, but... The interesting thing is that when you watch like the behind the scenes information, it's clear that both Lucas and Spielberg themselves didn't like Temple of Doom. Mm. <laughs> They're very candid about that. Yeah. They're like, yeah, it's not my favorite. Yeah. So they in they took some time off. Right. This is a film that's five years later yep. from uh, from the uh, Temple of Doom. And in order for them to come back to this franchise, I think they had to go back to a bit of the roots to make themselves want to come back to it again, to have fun again with this franchise, knowing that it's their last kind of hurrah with this, because Spielberg in his mind at this point, too, from his experiences, like from what I know from the Spielberg documentary that's on HBO, it's wonderful, um, and just some other material that I've caught of his over the years, that he's looking to do other things in his career post-89. Like, 89 and 90 are really a threshold moment in his career where he's like, I want to do more mature films, right? The Schindler's list, the saving private Ryan's, the minority reports, the stuff that he does in like that second sphere of his career, as opposed to your Raiders of the Lost Arks, your ETs, your close encounters of the third kinds, your more family friendly adventures, if you will, that he was probably most known for at the time. And he just wanted to dip his toes into different waters. And if he's coming back to this, he wants to do the things that were fun, right? Bring back characters, Sala, bring back Brody, uh, bring in the original James Bond himself, right? 
and and have this this fun last grand adventure. So I think it's a little bit of a, a course correction, but from who? I think it's more mandated from the filmmakers to be a course correction rather than right. a, a push from the fan base itself, If in my opinion. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where uh, I'm at at this point. And, and frankly, I think it works as a trilogy and as a quad quadruple <laughs> film set uh, when you, when you expand the film and I'm excited to see where the fifth one takes it to at this point. But uh, that's kind of where I rest on, on that, on that point there. You know, and I had also heard, uh, I believe it was in a podcast and I think it was the inside star Wars podcast. That was an, it's an excellent podcast, but he mm-hmm. goes into a lot. The host goes into a lot of George Lucas's life uh, because yeah. I mean, how much it informs star Wars franchise. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, it was on that podcast that I heard the story that, uh, Spielberg and George Lucas had recently gone through divorces. Oh yes. Uh, yes and in yes. the lead up to this movie and how those real life life experiences really informed the, the movies in that time period. And if you look at empire strikes back, that's much more mature, much more, much mm-hmm. darker than, than the original star Wars. And then again, a temple of doom. So it makes a lot of sense for these human beings that are creating these stories to have their real life experiences reflected in their films. And, you know, it seems like they all came out, you know, okay. And I think it's a interesting observation that you make of 8990 because yeah, you do see Steven Spielberg, especially um, get, coming away from the whimsical and going much more into the real world type of yes. heavy, uh, mature stories so real really interesting point there yeah so it's speaking of the whimsical <laughs> the film starts off with an incredible sequence featuring if you will indy's first adventure what do you make of this story technique to explain his backstory and did it really need to be explained to begin with i think this is such a good question and i put a lot of thought into it while i was re-watching this and i i, I really have two two answers the first one is i think the only thing they needed to do with this beginning and they accomplished it was set up the dynamic between dr jones senior and dr jones jr and they did that in what 15 seconds and if that yeah exactly (laughs) maybe not even 15 seconds the other thing that i think really drove the idea behind this this particular opening was the filmmakers sitting in a room going, how do we get River Phoenix in this movie? We need yeah. to find a way to get this because he was an absolute juggernaut at this time. He was on all the covers of the, the teen magazines and he mm. was just burning up the popularity meter. And what blockbuster film wouldn't jump at the chance of getting this kid in their film i'll bet you you know this movie made close to 500 million dollars i'll bet you 20 25 million dollars of that money were just people showing up to watch river phoenix and being happy when they did um i agree so those two things that the river phoenix aspect of it and then just setting up that dynamic between um between dad and son uh but you know so beyond that though it's so much fun it's such a, yeah, a great yeah. way to start this adventure film with a really fun, what is it, 10 minutes long, maybe? Uh, it's a good chunk of the movie, is. I'll it, be honest. It, yeah. yeah, and you know, you've know you got, I love the bait and switches, right? The very first thing you see are some people 
on horses going through mountain ranges and those horses end up being basically boy scouts right uh and then you get uh this young kid going down into these mines and you know we know this is an indiana jones movie we haven't seen Mm. indiana jones yet i remember going and not knowing that this is how it was going to start i didn't know that river phoenix was going to be young indy so i'm just looking at this at face value and then they look down into this mine and you see the fedora and you see the the leather jacket, but from behind. So you're like, oh, there's Indy. And you turn around and it's not Indy. So we're sitting there going, nope, hold on. You know what? The bait and switch right off the bat. They're just like, OK, what's going on here? Um, it It's just it, and then we, we just go into this great adventure of him. Uh, this belongs in a museum, you know, from mm-hmm. the beginning. He, he's such a young kid gets that gold cross and he's, he's tearing off on the horse. Then the whole train sequence and all the different animals. Then the, then he gets away and gets back to the house and he gets double crossed right by the sheriff. (laughs) And you know, you even get to see him get the scar on the chin with the whip. Mm -hmm. Just so there's a great amount of fan service to it and adventure and fun. So needed. I love the fact that you asked that. Was it needed? I think the only thing that was needed was that dynamic to set up between father and son, but I'm so glad that it happened because it's such a great opening sequence to a movie. Agreed. I would argue for a yes. And that it is needed as well because it allows for more stories to be told. Yes, that's true. And it's a great backdoor pilot, if you will, for the young Indiana Jones Chronicles and now called adventures. If you watch it on Disney plus that, Again, you can watch it now on Disney Plus if you want all 22 episodes of that, which, you know, I haven't seen them before that now I get to experience those, which, you know, it's the mo- probably the most George Lucas thing ever, if you <laughs> will, right? Like a prequel that inspires more prequels. Yeah. Like, I don't think that was Steven's idea when you come to think of it, but, you know, that's totally has George written on all over it there. That's his hand stamp <laughs> for George sure. Lucas's <laughs> DNA is to jump five years in uh, ahead of time, or let's leave a big gap in the middle of something and here and there, and we can go back and fill it in if we want to. He's a genius. Yeah, I guess it just depends on your perspective of, do you want to know yeah. things? And, and some people are like, yeah, I don't want to know. But I guess I'm of the person that I, I don't mind knowing things. I'm, I love history. As I've said before, I love knowing how we got to places, right? I Those are the too. stories that I want to know about and hear about. And, uh, if, if you can, if Indy had a fun adventure in Cairo when he was seven, tell me about it. Right. If, if he had a fun adventure in Utah in 1912, whenever, whenever that, you know, this first, I think it's 1912. Yeah. Um, when that takes place, then absolutely tell me if that's how he got his scar, if that's how he got a, became afraid of snakes and had this fun adventure on a train sequence too, which I believe is how Spielberg first got his love of film was he saw like a film from the 1950s that involved a train, a circus train sequence, um, which I believe is showcased in the recent film, The Fablemans, if anyone gets a chance to see that, which I highly recommend too. Um, it's really them just playing with their fun influences and, and George exploring this idea of what can a prequel look like and using that as a, a springboard for other storytelling. Um, you really see these guys really at their coming to fruition with who they are and accepting it in many ways, these creators, Lucas and Spielberg, which I, I love and appreciate from the sequence. So I think it is absolutely needed and necessary. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, these are masters at the top of their craft and um, that, and the way the Indiana Jones franchise is structured uh, you, you, after the end of each movie, you don't need another movie because these are individual adventures that this person goes on. 
Uh, and, it, you know, there's no other films it has to set up. And I'm a huge fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think it's genius storytelling. I, I, I admire all the work it goes into. And now Star Wars from the beginning has, has been this massive galaxy where the storytelling potential mm-hmm. is infinite. Um, but there's something quaint and wonderful about the Indiana Jones films that you don't need to do that because we're looking at a one-off adventure and it's incredibly uh, entertaining. And if we don't get any more of that, you're still satisfied because of what you got. Agreed. You, you said it perfectly there. And for this adventure, the MacGuffin is none other than the Holy Grail. What do you make of the Holy Grail as being the quote-unquote MacGuffin for this particular adventure? And where does it rank, in your opinion, against the other objects of discovery, that being the, I guess you can include the fertility idol, the <laughs> the um, Ark of the Covenant, the Shakara Stones, and the Crystal Skull? Well, the Holy Grail is the Holy Grail, right? I mean, there's a reason yeah. that it's in the zeitgeist as a X fill-in-the-blank is the Holy Grail of whatever it is that you're talking about. So right off the bat, you know the stakes are extremely high, right? Because this is the mm-hmm. Holy Grail. Even if you have no perception or understanding of what this the actual item is, the cup of Christ, you, you don't really need to know. You just know that it's very important. Then as the yeah. movie goes on, I just love how they develop it into this lifelong commitment, borderline obsession for Henry Jones Sr. and how he spent his life creating this diary, how he's able to find it, where he needs to go, and and everything that has gone into that. I mean, he's literally working on it in that opening scene when young Indy mm-hmm. bursts in the room, right? He's working on one of the three riddle type of things, booby traps. And yeah. this it makes sense because this is an artifact that has been around for 2000 years. I mean, mm-hmm. depending on your, your religious affiliation and, and the way you work your faith, this was the hand, the hand of God uh, was holding this and drank from it. So sure. definitely yeah. a holy item. I think for me where it falls in, it's going to be right there with the Ark of the Covenant because you have all those sort of same, although the Ark of the Covenant is, is from the Jewish tradition, Hebrew tradition, and the the Holy Grail would be a Christian tradition. They're still hand in hand. They they go oh, they yeah. go walking together, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. and especially that spiritual aspect of things. And I'm always a big fan of when you're able to uh, fold in the spiritual uh, significance of 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 something sure. into a story. That's always very effective. I I am an, I'm a big fan of the Crystal Skull just because I do also love outer space <laughs> and alien yeah, stuff. It works. Um, you know, and the and the uh, the stones that he's after in the um, uh, in the Temple of Doom, of course, is a prequel, and it's uh, it's more important to that storyline. Uh, but I, I'm a big fan of of the Holy Grail as well as the the Ark of the Covenant, just because of the the large impact that it holds, and the fact that the Nazis are after both items, because mm-hmm. we also do know that they were. The Nazis in real life, there's a historical basis for why they would be after these types of these oh, ar- yeah. articles or artifacts, I should say. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I basically wrote my notes for this is the Holy Grail. It's the Holy Grail. It's the <laughs> thing that like historians and ar- architects, you know, um, archaeologists and whatnot, 
if they ever found this thing, it would be an amazing event. So yeah, it's the Holy Grail. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I've got it. I've got it downstairs. I should have. I should have brought it up for this recording, but I have a replica <laughs> that that uh, Disney had on sale. Oh, that's great. Uh, a couple months ago, and I was like, I can't pass this up. I need to have the cup of price. Can I ask you? you know, the, does search it, for the cup of price is search of divine and all of does us. Does it light <laughs> up from the uh, from the inside? Because that's one of the things. No, that, it doesn't. Oh, that's a missed opportunity. That would have been. Awesome. It, it really is. It's it's really just the replica of the cup itself. It isn't much more beyond that. It's a nice decorative display. It goes right beside my my willow wand nice. <laughs> my little lucasfilm library of collectible replicas that i've got downstairs uh, uh but it i think for me it's my favorite of all the stuff um again you, you've talked on a, a good amount of the the spiritual significance of it for those that are of the christian faith i think you can't not have the cup of christ i mean every time you have communion you have to think about yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> um and I think for me too, uh, I think you're a big fan of storytelling, but the Arthurian myth of it all is something that has really permeated into every legend and culture that exists in the world today. So whether you're a Christian, whether you're Hebrew, you know, you follow other religions, I think everyone knows about the, the Holy Grail or the quest for, or what it means, right? It's like, that's it's a common phrase to say like okay that's that's the the holy grail that's like if i get to that that's i've achieved everything mm-hmm. in my life right the idea of this quest for something the search for something greater the search for something beyond and for for each of us that's for us to determine to set that goal for right to to set your strategy in order to to meet whatever that end goal is um so i think that's the relatable thing mm-hmm. about the quest for the holy grail and of course i love that that's this movies called the last crusade it brings the crusades into this as well uh which is a, a incredible historical event um so just adding all that into this film plus yeah the, continuing the the saga between indiana jones and the nazis mm-hmm. um it's just a, f- a a great way i think to conclude what this was at the time and i couldn't think of a better religious artifact that indiana jones could could hunt at this at this point in time so i think the the grail is is really the the pinnacle of what this franchise can offer in my opinion yeah i agree with you i, I agree and and it's because of that worldwide historical significance of it you know you look at the the first thing we see that he's chasing after in the movie is the the cross of coronado um it's a cross it's an artifact it's a, someone that is a historical person possessed that at one point and he's right mm-hmm. it should be in a museum but we're not talking about it. You know, it, it's, it doesn't have power. There's no power there. And they never right, claim that it right. does, but the Holy grail, not only is it a, uh, an artifact of historical significance, but in the film, this thing has power. There's a power behind it. And that's why the Nazis are after it. And that adds a whole other element for us as, as fans. Yeah. I'm going to jump ahead on some of our questions here, just uh, for, for, for the two of us here. Um, one of the best things about this movie for me is that we're reunited with both Sala and Marcus, but we're also introduced to a big player already, uh, as you mentioned in that opening scene, but we just hear his voice. We don't see him, but we do get to see later Indy's father is played by none other than Sean Connery, the original James Bond. And in your opinion, or if this isn't your opinion, let me know, but was he the perfect casting for Henry Jones Sr.? Yes. Yeah. That, that's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's it that's it just yes, yes period yeah. next, next question <laughs> um i this was the first movie that i really experienced sean connery as a performer i i mm. the james bond that was around for me in my childhood was roger moore and I'm sorry, you didn't pop on Never Say Never Again? I mean, I probably <laughs> saw bits and pieces here and there, but, you know, I was a teenager. I wasn't really all into watching anything before 1977, if I'm being honest, unless mm-hmm. it was Jaws or mm-hmm. Rocky. <laughs> um, Fair. Yeah. So, you know, I knew he was there. I knew I knew people had the opinion that he was better uh, than Roger Moore or the best Bond. I think there was only two at the point at that point anyway. Yeah. Um, yep. So. I knew about him, but I didn't have any real emotional investment in his performances. But this, so this really was my first experience with him as a, as an actor. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I feel really lucky <laughs> that that's the case because this is, he just absolutely kills this role. Agreed. I think he's the perfect foil for Indiana Jones. Like he is not only is Sean Connery, the perfect, uh, casting for this role but this character is the perfect foil for indy you know he's just you know i'm gonna i'll go ahead and lob it back to you just based on that so you can guide us where we're going to talk about because i could literally just (laughs) ramble on for probably 10 minutes about henry jones (laughs) senior no i think henry jones senior is is brilliant too and of course it gets that to the like when they created this idea of Indiana Jones back at, when they were celebrating Star Wars and and close encounters on that fateful beach in in Hawaii, where Spielberg is like, I want to do an Indiana, uh, not a, I want to, <laughs> I want to do a James Bond picture, yeah. right? I've been trying to get the broccolis to let me do that, and then George Lucas is like, I got a better idea. I got uh, Indiana Smith, <laughs> an archaeologist, and you know the idea of this, you know, him wanting to do this kind of different James Bond kind of approach to a film. Uh, which of course molded itself into Indiana Jones. The fact that they're kind of going full circle again yeah. is is really cool to me, and I love that. You know, it's just a fun Easter egg. But also, Connery doesn't phone in this performance at all. He phones in, I would argue, some of those later uh, uh, Bond roles, and we we're talking like Diamonds Are Forever. Some of those <laughs> later ones where he's clearly checked out a little bit, in my opinion, and. Uh, he, he he's definitely giving 110%. You watch the behind the scenes stuff. He's all on board with the, the production of this movie, the, the theories behind it, the, the fun and action of all of it. Um, and I think again, you said it, he's a great foil to, to Indiana Jones, Henry Jones, Jr. <laughs> he knows the buttons to push. And it, and it's, it's so it's beautiful to see just a father son, just, recreate their regrow their their admiration respect and love for each other over the course of this movie because that's honestly it's the there really isn't a a big arc in any other indiana jones film Mm. if you ask me sure yeah i'm there's clear a clear arc from like you start at point a you end at point b and that's the relationship of father and son yeah right there they don't speak to each other (laughs) at the beginning of the movie and they haven't spoken for like 20 years and then they they're inseparable. It's just so heartwarming. It's it is. It's mad. It is magical. It's just so heartwarming to see uh, their first couple scenes together compared to the scene on the cliff, right when mm-hmm. uh, Marcus yeah. and oh, Sala and, uh, and Doctor Jones are looking over, and Sean Connery's 
emotions that he expresses through his face and the reactions where he, he thinks he just lost oh, his son. So good. And then, then of course, Harrison comes into frame and he's just <laughs> looking right. And he's, you know, he's nodding his head. Like who knows what's going through any of the guy's minds at this point. But then, you know, the change in Sean Connery towards Harrison Ford, you know, he immediately just wraps his arms around him. He said, I thought I lost your boy. And, he the way he delivers that because he calls him boy through the whole movie and it just yeah grates Indy, right? He just oh he just hates it, right? He calls him junior <laughs> and boy. But you know, when he gave him that hug and said, I thought I'd lost your boy, and then Indy responds back, um, I thought you had too, sir. Right? Just the there's so much mm. weight and emotion in those words that from both actors, and that really shows you, and that's not even I don't really know when the third act of this movie starts. So I'm just going to, for our purpose. <laughs> Who knows? It doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm just going to say that this is the last scene of the second act because then they go to, mm. you know, where they find the, the grail. But um, for that to be the last thing that happens before they conclude their adventure, it puts them right where they need to be for that final act. And it, and and yeah. the and yeah. the distance that those two tra- two characters had traveled from the beginning of this movie till now was just, I mean, it is, that's why I think it's a perfect adventure film. It's, it is just incredible. Um, you Absolutely. know, another thing that I'd, I'd love to, to bring up about Sean Connery and, and, and yeah, go ahead. I love that he is not incompetent. He's just out of his element, mm, right? He's mm, certainly, he's, yeah. he is a genius. He is quick as a whip. Uh, and he is providing valuable information to further their quest Mm. right now. He's not going to be able to escape on a motorcycle. He's not going to be able to punch his way out of things. You know, that's what Indy's for, but yeah, he's not punching his way out of that tank. No, no, (laughs) but he, he got that flock of birds to start flying and saved him from that airplane. He sure did. And yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's another thing that I just love. And it's very subtle because you could definitely have the temptation to write this character as a buffoon to make him laugh, but he's not a, you could. He's not a punchline. Absolutely. He's not a punchline in this. He is a very important element to this entire adventure. And he just kills it. Sean Connery just kills it. I love that you brought that up because that is so, so right. He, he is out of his element, but he adapts definitely more so than anybody. Yeah. Right. He, you, you're so right. He, he throws out a great, uh, point right he explains to me why they need to go get the the diary right why it's still important he he takes out a whole plane with birds with an umbrella. <laughs> like with an umbrella like oh my gosh what quick thinking indy doesn't have a plan <laughs> but his dad's like oh i'll take care of this don't worry I... and and that's really you know the lineage is there yes right indy's just has more confidence because he's done these things before, but the quick wittedness, yeah. the thinking on your feet, the, the quest for knowledge that all comes from his father yeah. at the end yeah. of the day, which we saw instilled in him as a kid. Absolutely. Right. Well, this is a great transition to go to our last question here, Colby. And we talked a little about the father and the son relationship. And I know you're a father yeah. and I wanted to like pick your brain about this. I think we all know and appreciate again, that the, the true search for the grail is the rediscovery of Indy's relationship with his father. And as a parent yourself, how does this theme and film overall, in fact, resonate with you? 
has this changed over the years? Uh, feel free to let me know what you're all thinking here. Well, it has definitely changed over the years. And as you're asking the question, I just, you know, reflected back to the thing I said earlier, which was I feel like I I answer questions from the younger Colby and the current Colby. <laughs> so I like that approach. <laughs> that's a good, I like that. Uh, I guess that's what happens when you get old, Anthony. <laughs> um Happens to all of us. <laughs> the younger, the 14-year-old Colby that watched this late 80s, early 90s, um, he looked through Junior's eyes. He understood yeah. Junior's frustrations. Uh, and now, being a father myself of two young gentlemen, because they're in their 20s, in their, in their early 20s, I think one of the things that stands out to me most uh, now about the movie is how uh Dr. Jones senior he he gets to a point where he lets Indiana Jones be Indiana Jones mm. right and you see it in the one of the very last things that you see when in that brilliant scene when Indy um when the when the when the Dr. Schneider is her name I think Yes, Elsa, yeah, Elsa. Elsa. Yep. She's trying to walk away with the with the with the Grail, and the um, knight had told them it can't pass the the seal, can't go beyond the seal. And she yep. does, and then the earthquake starts, and the thing uh, cracks open. the The Grail falls down. She jumps in after it, or she falls down, and Indiana's holding her, and he she's like, "I can, I can, uh, I can reach it. I can reach it," and she ends up falling to her death. And then immediately, now we have Indiana jones in her spot being held by his father and he he Mm -hmm. is tempted by the same thing i can reach it i can reach it and that's when dr jones senior says indiana and that to me is where you really he shows uh, that character has accepted his son for who he is because he doesn't Mm -hmm. call him indiana except for that time only boy only junior and frustrates the heck out of indy but in that moment, he really wants to get serious and he calls him Indiana. Yeah. And I think that's a very big step for Sean Connery's character. He he lets Indiana be himself so he can say, let it go. And then Indy mm. knows. It doesn't that doesn't happen unless uh, Dr. Jones Sr. comes to that point where he's gonna let Indiana be Indiana. And I think from my perspective as a dad, one of the things that you have to come to terms with is letting your kids be your, be themselves. Be, yeah. You know, because that's what we wanted our parents to do for us. Right. So mm-hmm. um, you can watch them, you can look at them making their decisions and you can say, I would do this differently, but they're going to do what they're going to do. And as a father, you have to trust that that's going to be the right thing. And if it wasn't the right thing, you have to pray that they learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> oh, wow. Colby, that's that's incredible. Um, thank you so much for sharing your views and your insights about, about this movie, about how it's changed for you over the years, about how it's impacted you as both uh, a, a son yourself and <laughs> as a father now, uh, and for sharing both young Colby and older Colby's viewpoints and how they've changed throughout the years on this particular film and the Indiana Jones franchise. Um, where can the fine folks 
find you and find your podcast online. Uh, feel free to plug anything you'd like at this time. Oh, thank you very much, Anthony. I, I really do appreciate the invite back. I love talking to you. I love our conversations. Uh, you have a, a wonderful podcast and I love what you're doing for the people out there that listen to it. And I hope, uh, you know, that more and more people do so. Uh, so we can live that dream and be professional podcasters talking to our friends, right? <laughs> I know. One day, um, one day it's going to happen. <laughs> my, my attempt at that is called the Colby Cast, as you mentioned. And I do spend a lot of time talking to my two 20-year-old sons. And we talk about all kinds of things. We love talking about Star Wars and um, Marvel. Uh, we just did a uh, episode about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, we've talked about John Wick. So we talk about all kinds of movies, TV shows, pop culture stuff. Uh, we do some episodes about music cause we all love music. So really it's just Absolutely. A, yep. yeah, a chance for the three of us to sit down and talk. And, um, sometimes they like to goof on me because I'm old and they're <laughs> young. Uh, and I love that. I think that that's great. And we record it and put it out for everybody to listen to. So yeah, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, uh, at the Colby cast. So thanks again. I appreciate it, Anthony. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks again for coming on the show, Colby. And for those of you at home, thanks for listening. Of course, we'll be back next week to discuss The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the last film for now until June 30th in the Indiana Jones franchise. So we're gearing up for the Dial of Destiny just around the corner, folks. So we'll be back very soon in your podcast feed. So stay tuned for that. Until then, may the force be with you. Take care. (laughs) 